Thank you so much for singing so well, and thank you, uh, worship team, for helping us through those songs. And uh, one thing that I love about uh, singing and that time of worship through singing is that it prepares our heart now to uh, worship God through learning His Word. And we've been studying through Galatians, cha- uh, the whole book, really, uh, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, and we're up to Galatians chapter number three. So if you have your Bibles, open to Galatians chapter number three. Let me say also, as you're turning there, um, I forgot to mention those that might be joining us on the live stream. It's going to have you as well. And in particular, uh, there was one young man that visited our uh, our church years ago. I'm talking about over a decade now. Uh, his name is Fernando, and he's up in Seattle. And, uh, and I heard he's been streaming faithfully every week. So Fernando, if you're listening, it's going to have you with us. And uh, so glad that uh, you're making time uh, to study and grow in God's Word. Galatians chapter 3, and we're going to be in verse 15, going from 15 down to verse number 25. Uh, and before we read, let me try to just give a quick recap as what we've been learning so far. Uh, the book of Galatians is a letter written to the churches in Galatia for the purpose of clarifying the message of the gospel. And uh, the, the problem was there was people, uh, these false teachers that had gone to these churches and were telling the church members there uh, that the gospel, the message of Christ dying on the cross for your sin is not enough to make you right with God. It does help. According to them, it, you can see what Jesus did on the cross, but it isn't enough. You need a little bit more, and the more is doing good works. So they were saying, if you do good works, you can be right with God. And so the Apostle Paul is writing this letter because at the same time, they're not just saying that uh, only by doing good works can you be right with God. They were also saying the Apostle Paul really isn't a minister of God. You don't need to be listening to him. Now, the Apostle Paul was the one that shared the message of the gospel with the people of Galatia, and they came to a saving knowledge through his ministry. And now these people are saying, don't listen to him. All right, so he's writing this letter to, one, explain why God called him to the ministry, that he is a minister of God. He's writing to clarify what the gospel message is and to say that it is sufficient, completely sufficient to make you right with God, and to also say it's the only way to live by. You're only going to live by the gospel and what the gospel brings, which is the Spirit of God. So we've been learning that in chapter 1 and in chapter 2. As you get into chapter 3, as he continues explaining these truths, uh, you find that he starts with living wisely, right? We ought to live wisely. If you're, if you're a Christian, someone that is living through the power of the gospel, you ought to live wisely. So in verse number 1, he tells the Galatians, you're acting very foolishly, all right? He says, who, who hath uh, fool, you foolish Galatians who have bewitched you, who, have, who has charmed you, he says, who's, who's really uh, confused you that uh, you are, are now not obeying the truth uh, before whose eyes Jesus Christ have been evidently set forth, crucified among you. He said, this what I ask you, uh, when you receive the Spirit of God, did you receive it, receive it from doing good works or by faith? And of course, the obvious answer Paul is giving them is, y'all, y'all receive the Spirit of God by faith, all right? So the Christian life is lived by faith, not by works. So he starts off first, you got to establish that. He said, think about your experience as a Christian. He said, at what point 
What law did you obey so that God would be right with you? Was it thou shalt not covet, thou shalt not commit adultery? Which one did you obey so you could be right with God? And he's saying none. Because we can't be made right with God through doing good works, by obeying the law, only by faith. When you get to verse number six, and we studied this last week, we talked about the consistency of the gospel. Paul says, look, not only through your experience do you find that faith is the only way to live by, but then you'll also find that even the Bible teaches that. And he goes and talks about Abraham and the promise made to Abraham. And we learned this last week, but I'll repeat it just to refresh our minds. The promise that was made to Abraham by God was that he was going to be made right with God through faith. Now, I explain this truth this way, all right? The way that we are made right with God has always been through faith. The people in the Old Testament, starting with Abraham and even before, even starting with Adam and Eve, their faith was this. The faith was, in the future, God will send somebody to pay for our sins so we can be made right with God. And I believe that by faith. That was the way that they were made right with God or justified. The word is the, uh, in the Bible is used as justified. It means not guilty. Right with God. All right? He said the only way you could do that was by faith. And they were looking towards the promise that someone would be sent by God to pay for their sin and make them right. That person was Jesus Christ. He is the promise. He is the fulfillment of that promise. Now, we're at about 2,000 years after, we look back by faith and say, when Jesus died on the cross, I believe by faith that he made me right with God. So when I accept Jesus as my Savior, I am saying I believe that what he did on the cross was for me. It was for my sins. So you see, it's faith on both sides. It never has been about our good works. It's never been about, well, do you fulfill the Ten Commandments or not? The false teachers that were there in Galatia were saying, well, yeah, okay, Jesus did that, but really, you actually, you got to keep the commandments. That's how you're going to really be right with God. And Paul said, no. The gospel message is simple. Before it was, look, God's going to send someone to die for your sins and make you right with him. The gospel message today is, hey, God sent someone to die for your sin. His name was Jesus Christ. It was his only son. And by faith, he makes you right with God. That's the consistency of the gospel. And we learned about that. We learned about the curse of the law. He said, if you're going to try to be right with God by just keeping his commandments, here's what you're going to find. You're going to finished, be finished cursed. He said, because if you're going to obey God's law, here's the problem. You have to obey every law. You can't get 9 out of 10 and be right with God. All right? 9 out of 10 is not bad free throw percentage, but it ain't perfect. And you ain't going to be right with God. And so Paul said, look, in order to be right with God, all right, in order to be right with God, you can only come through faith. Anything else, anything short of that leaves you cursed. We, we, we learned about the curse in verses 12 and, and 13. And then uh, we learned now uh, that he's really nailing down this thing about faith. And the blessing uh, of Abraham was this. Abraham received that promise, right? And that he was going to bless everybody else by his faith. In other words, because I see his example of faith, 
I can do the same thing and be blessed by God and be right with God. That's the blessing of Abraham. The promise is you're going to be made right with God by faith. Jesus came, the promise was fulfilled, and now we're all blessed because we follow what Abraham did by faith. Now you get into verse number 15, and we'll get into the reasons then, because after I explained this last week, on my way home, I was, uh, I was talking uh, to my wife, Rochelle, and I said, well, okay, I do this almost every week. I said, does it even make sense what I was talking about? Like, were you bored at any time or, you know? And she's usually honest, you know, really, really, sometimes brutally honest, okay? Uh, but anyways, uh, she said, no, no, I, I think I get what you were saying and, and what the passage is saying. She said, but if that's true, and Abraham was like by faith and, and we're by faith, and so what's the point of the law? The law that we have, the Ten Commandments, who gave that? Did Moses make those up? No. So who gave them to us? God. So why did God give us the law? So here are these Hebrew false teachers, right? The Judaizers are saying, he gave us the law so we could be made right with him. And Paul says, that's not the reason he gave us the law. You could never be made right with God through the law. So then what is it? I'm glad you're asking because that's what today we're going to be talking about. The reasons for the law. Why did? Because that's what Paul answers in verse 15. So let's just read it really quick from verse 15 down to verse 25 and we'll jump right into it, okay? Brethren, he says, I speak after the manner of men. All right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use, he says, a human perspective, a, a man's perspective illustration. Though it be but a man's covenant, yet if it be confirmed, no man disannulleth or addeth thereto. Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made, and he saith not, and to seeds as of many, but as of one, and to thy seed, and that seed is Christ. And this I say, that the covenant that was confirmed before God in Christ the law, which was 430 years after that promise, cannot disannul that covenant. It should not make the promise of none effect. For if the inheritance be of the law, it is no more of promise. But God gave it to Abraham by promise. Wherefore then serveth the law? It was added because of transgressions. Till the seed should come to whom the promise was made, and it was ordained by angels in the hand of a mediator. Now a mediator is not a mediator of one, but God is one. Is the law then against the promises of God? God forbid. If there had been a law given which could have given life, verily righteousness should have been by the law. But the scripture hath concluded all under sin, that the promise by faith of Jesus Christ might be given to them that believe. But before faith came, we were kept under the law, shut up unto the faith which should afterwards be revealed. Wherefore, the law was our schoolmaster, to bring us unto Christ, that we might be justified by faith. But after that faith is come, we are no more longer under a schoolmaster. What does all of that mean? All right, we're going to break it down to really two main reasons that Paul is saying the law was given to us. Why God gave us the Ten Commandments and all the commandments of the Old Testament. Why did he do that? Well, if you have your notes, let's get into it. The first thing that Paul says, before we can understand the two uh, reasons for the law, you have to understand this, and this is in your notes. The law is not superior to the promise. The law is not greater than the promise. One of the basis for the Judaizers to say, you have to obey all the commandments so you can be right with God, was they said, because the commandments 
are greater than faith. The, the, the living by faith is not enough. You need to have a little bit more than that, and the law is that, all right? The Ten Commandments is that. And so in verse 15, Paul has to clarify this. Let me, let me, and he says, let me give you an illustration, all right? When a covenant is made by two people, what can break that covenant? Okay. Now, a covenant is uh, probably an older word, uh, older English word that, than what we would use today. Today, we'd probably talk about contracts. Covenants are the same as contracts. Now, a contract, right, requires two parties, and it requires a mediator usually, right? For instance, uh, if you think about contracts with sports, right, the athlete is making a contract with a team, but he doesn't do it by himself. He usually has what is known as a sports agent, right? The sports agent is his mediator. He's the one that negotiates, hey, how much is this contract? How much are you going to pay me? And what do I have to do to get paid all that money, right? That's the contract. Now, when a contract is made, there are one agreements as to what it's going to cost one person to pay that other person, right? Or, and then what are the requirements for that? Right? So both sides are called here, right? There's responsibilities on both sides. One for the person that's providing, right, the, uh, the, the money or the finances, and the other side of what those people have to do or that person has to do to receive those, right? There's, there's, you're going to have to, you know, take care of your body. If this happens, then there's all these things in that contract that those two individuals have to come into agreement on. Once they come to an agreement on that, you sign a contract. Once you put that signature, everything that's on those papers comes into play, right? In fact, in the news lately, uh, I don't know if you all saw this, but uh, the, the quarterback for the Cardinals, it, it came out that in his contract, he's got to study at least four hours of game film before every game because apparently he wasn't doing that, all right? Now it's in writing, so now he has to do that. Someone's got to confirm that he's doing that, or if not, they can break the contract. But the only way that that contract can be broken is by either Kyler not living up to his end or by the Cardinals organization not living up to their end. I cannot come in and say, hey, Kyler, here's what you need to do. Do this and this and this, and that'll break the contract. I can't break the contract for Kyler. I can't help them, and I can't help the Cardinals break the contract. The contract's between them two, right? The mediator was a sports agent. There's nothing I can do to disannul that. Right? That word disannul is break the contract. Paul is saying this, okay? Here's what we have to understand. He said the promise was given to Abraham. There was this contract between God and Abraham. And he said, we who are way after can't do anything to break that contract. People that obey, obey Moses' law cannot break the contract. The Ten Commandments cannot break that contract. The promise was between God and Abraham. Nothing else can break that contract. So that's what he's saying in verse 15 and 16. He said, when it, even when it's between two people, and we can all understand this contracts, hey, only the people in that contract can break that contract. Nobody outside of that contract, right? That's the first thing. So he wants to say this by saying that, that the promise that God gave to Abraham is a sure thing. 
Hopefully you understand that expression, sure thing. It's like it's guaranteed. It's a guaranteed contract by God that he says, faith guarantees for you to be made right with me. Guaranteed. It's not faith in works. He said, just faith. Abraham didn't even have the law. So it was by faith alone that God made him, gave him that promise. Okay. It's a sure thing. Now, in today's day and age, sometimes contracts have lost a little bit of that seriousness, right? I mean, not only are contracts broken in the sports world, but even in the business world, right? Um, there's loopholes or there's things that just flat out, they just break the contract. I don't want to be in this contract anymore, and they just break the contract. Uh, but in this day and age, when Paul was uh, writing this, those contracts were very, very serious, okay? And, and, and sadly, we've lost a little bit of that. Uh, even, and I put this in Mark chapter 10, Jesus talks about the, the contract, if you will, of marriage, the pact of marriage, right? Um, in the day and age in which Jesus lived, the people of Israel were just getting, you know, doing whatever they wanted in marriage, divorcing and doing things like that. And, and they asked Jesus about that. And Jesus said, listen, that's, Moses allowed that, not because he was for it, but he said, because of the hardness of your heart, because what God has joined together, no one should break asunder. Uh, this is a very serious thing. And so Paul is just kind of giving that idea that the promise that was made by God is a sure thing. Nothing can break that. And then I want you to notice, secondly, that he says in verse 16 and 17, that the promise is unconditional. All right? It's unconditional. Now, to see this, I put this in your notes in Genesis chapter 15. Okay? In Genesis chapter 15, verse 12 and verse 17. Before we read that, let me kind of let you know, because this is really... The further you go back in history, sometimes you see what cultures do and you go, okay, I don't get that. <laughs> like, why do they do that? I don't know. That's just kind of how history works, right? So let me tell you how it worked in Abraham's day. If you were going to be making a contract with your neighbor, maybe you are going to dig a well and you say, hey, both of us should be able to draw from the well. And here are the stipulations. Who's going to pay for this? Who's going to be drawing the water? You write all that down, you make your contract. How do you sign the contract in those days? This is what they did. They didn't get a pen and paper and write their, their signature. What they would do is they would get two animals, okay? And they would kill the animals, whether it be a ram, goats, oxes, bulls, whatever. They would, they would kill them, and they would put one animal, let's just say right here where this uh, speaker's at, and they would put the other one on the other side over here. So now you had these two animals. They would talk about their agreement, okay, in the contract they're making, and they would walk between them. And this was the contract being signed. As they walked between them, they would say, okay, now this is a done deal. We've walked between the two animals. And they walked back, and they'd say, that is the contract. It's signed. It's done. That's what we're doing. That's how it worked. Now, here's what happens. In Genesis 15, God makes these promises to Abraham. And he said, now I want you to kill two animals and put them in. Now, in those days, both would walk the contract and both would be held to that contract, right? Both you and whoever you're making the contract with. You both would walk through the animals and come back that made the contract. Both of you are binding to that contract. Abraham kills the two animals. Notice in verse number 12 what happens. 
what happens in verse number 12 of Genesis chapter 15. And when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram, and lo, and horror of darkness fell upon him. So what's Abraham doing? Sleeping. Okay? Go to verse number 17. And it came to pass that when the sun went down and it was dark, we know Abram's sleeping, behold, a smoking furnace and a burning lamp that passed between those pieces. If you know a little bit about the Old Testament, you know that that fire represented God. When Moses saw the burning bush, God was in the burning bush, right? That, that smoke and fire represented God. So God is walking in between the two animals. What is Abram doing? Sleeping. Did Abraham make that contract then? No, right? If Abraham didn't walk through, it's like he didn't sign the contract. So who signed the contract? God. So here's what God is saying. I made that promise. And Abraham didn't do anything for that contract. He never even signed it. This is a contract I made with myself about the promise that I was going to give to Abraham. Just me. Abraham's over there asleep. He didn't have to do any of the Ten Commandments. He didn't even have the commandments. He didn't have to go to church. He didn't do anything for it. God made that promise. And so that's what Paul is reminding them. Paul is saying, look, read the story carefully. Who walked between? Who signed the contract? God did. Okay, so it's, a, it's an unconditional thing. In other words, Abraham didn't do anything. It was not a conditional contract to say, Abraham, if you do this, then I'll give you the promise. It was God simply saying, I'm going to give you a promise. And he signed that contract. So knowing that, look at what Paul, uh, what Paul writes then. So he said, now to Abraham and his seed were the promise made. He saith not unto seeds, right? He said as many, but as of one to thy seed, which is Christ. And this I say that the covenant that was be confirmed, right? Before God in Christ the law, which was 430 years after, cannot break it. So God gives the law 430 years after he makes that covenant. Why? We'll come back to that first question. Then why did he do that? He already made a covenant with Abraham. It's an unconditional, it's a sure thing. So why the law? What is the role of the Ten Commandments in this thing of the gospel? Verse 18 explains the first reason. I put it there in your notes, and it's this. The law reveal, reveals our sinfulness. Verse 19, I'm sorry. The law reveals our sinfulness. Right? Verse 17 says, nothing can break it. The law can't break it. The inheritance of the law is no more of promise, but God gave it to Abraham by promise, not by Abraham doing anything. So the question is, wherefore then serveth the law? Why is it here? It was added because of transgressions. Paul gives the first reason as a key reason for the law. Before the Ten Commandments, did people sin? Yes or no? Okay, if you know your Bible, yes, they did. In fact, God destroyed a whole city because of sin called Sodom and Gomorrah. God destroyed the whole world in Genesis chapter 8 because their sin had come up to him, right? So sin was before the law. So then why the law? What did the law do? It made us aware of that sin. Before the law, we were controlled by our conscience. But our conscience isn't always the most reliable thing. How many have seen Pinocchio, right? I love Pinocchio. 
Um, but, you know, Pinocchio is not the most theological right, teaching, okay? Pinocchio says, let your conscience be your guide, right? Here's the problem, all right? Not a bad advice sometimes, right? We, 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 we do something bad and our conscience kind of makes us feel bad. Like, oh, I shouldn't have done that. The problem is we can't rely totally on our conscience because it can deceive us. Because our conscience can become, the Bible says, seared. In other words, you don't feel anything anymore. Now, I'll give you a quick example. Okay. Here's this gangster. Okay. He's been with this gang. They're not a bunch of good guys or bad guys. They go in and they destroy a storefront. Break the windows, throw fire, and just destroy and loot. Okay? Now, this gangster, this member, he didn't break a window and he didn't steal anything. But he knows who did. He was actually standing around the corner. He saw everyone that did. Right? The police pick up everybody in the gang. Now they're asking him questions of, do you know who did it? Hey, what, what did they do? Who was it? Tell me, tell me who threw the rock. And you know what the conscience of that young man is? It tells him, hey man, snitches get stitches. I can't tell. I just don't feel right turning in my friends that way. I cannot do it. Now, every one of us know that the right thing to do would be to tell the authorities what happened. But his conscience tells him, oh, don't do it because you're going to feel bad. They're, I mean, how can, you, how can you treat others, your friends, your brothers like that? That's why conscience is not good to live by. Our conscience can deceive us. Okay? So the law is given, so now we're aware. Now the law is perfectly clear as to what they did is wrong. And what do I do in this situation? The law, the law is pretty clear. In this situation, this is what you do. So God gave us the commandments so that we could see our sin as it really was. Now notice this, and I put in your notes, it is given for this temporary purpose. The law was given just for a temporary purpose. It was for this. Look at until the promise comes, God is, says, I need to restrain a little bit of what's going on, the way you're living your sin. You need to be a little bit aware because when the promise comes, if you're not aware of how bad you are, then why do you want to get right with God? You would need to know that you're wrong with God so that you can see the need of being right with God or being made right with God, right? So the law is to reveal our sinfulness. It's just a, it's just a temporary thing. Now, let me tell you, temporary in the, the space of eternity, okay? In other words, for 1,500 years, when God gave Moses the law, it was a 1,500-year gap until Jesus actually came to this earth. <laughs> but Paul says it's 1,500 years that was temporary. That's what the law served for. It was to reveal us of how sinful, reveal our sinfulness. So it was temporary, and then notice it's given to remind us of our need. All right, It was ultimately to show our need of how simple we are and our need to be made right with God, right? With our conscience not being right anymore, being seared, then we, we needed something to tell us. 
the law was given to that, all right? Let me give you the second reason then, the second reason why we need the law. Number one, to reveal our sinfulness. Number two, to be our schoolmaster. And that was verse 23 down to verse 25, all right? It's to be a schoolmaster. Now, in, in those days, this was commonplace for people to have a schoolmaster. I kind of wish we could bring this back because this is how it worked, okay? As a schoolmaster, what you did is uh, if you had someone working for you in your house, if you had a slave working in your house, what you would do is you would assign them to your children. And from your children at age six up to age 16, they were to train them in how they should behave. They would take them to school. They were guardians that would say, no, this is not how you act. This is not how you uh, respond. This is how you're supposed to be in front of people. This is why you're supposed to be learning in school. And the whole time, they were just there to make sure, hey, don't get out of line. Don't get out of line. From 6 to 16. Now, that would save me a lot of work, all right, throughout my week, if I had someone do that for my kids. We've got to bring this back, all right? We'll, we'll, we'll work on bringing it back later, okay? But um, that's what a schoolmaster did. So Paul says, the second reason for why God gave us the law, number one, so you knew how sinful you were and how much you need that promise. And secondly, to discipline us. To discipline us. That's why when the law is not obeyed, there's a curse. There's a discipline. There's consequences for wrong behavior. God said, I gave you the law for that. Now, notice that by giving the law, it kept us in bondage to it. In other words, with the law now, we know, what, we know what is right, we know what is wrong, and now we're caught by that. Uh, if you look in verse 23, I just want to explain this real quick. It says, but before faith came, we were kept under the law, right? Shut up unto the faith which should afterwards be revealed. That word, or the words shut up there, the best translation for our day and age in English, but it's the Greek word. It's only one Greek word, sekleio, and it means to be caught like a fish in a net. So when the law came, it caught us doing wrong, and it doesn't let you out. That's why Paul says you can't be made right with God through the law because all the law can do is condemn you. You're like a fish stuck in a net. So if you were being covetous, right? That's wanting what, something else, what someone else has. He said, if you're being covetous because you obeyed your parents doesn't mean that it X's out the covetousness. The law doesn't do that. All the law does is, well, you're cursed now because you were being covetous. We say, well, I didn't, I'm not coveting. Oh, okay, good, good. Are you honoring your parents? Well, I mean, when I was younger, I, you know, there, I wasn't always obedient. Okay, then you're under a curse. Because you know what? It only takes one disobedience, one act of disobedience for you to be a lawbreaker. <laughs> so Paul says, you're caught in a fish. The, the, the law caught us. To now we know we're not right with God. And it won't let us go. You're condemned by the law. You're cursed by the law. You have no way to be made right with God in and of yourself. At the same time, at the same time, the law leads us to the greatest freedom of all. 
notice what he says, all right? We're caught up, right, like a fish. He says, but before, uh, verse 24, wherefore the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ that we might be justified by faith. But after that faith has come, we're no longer under a schoolmaster. He says, listen, you were stuck, and the only way you get unstuck is by faith in Jesus. And he frees you. And he says in verse 25, and now you're no longer under the law. You don't have to be stuck anymore. You say, oh, now, so now I'm perfect. No, you're not perfect. You're not perfect. But God sees Jesus' righteousness, and he put it on you. We're going to expand on this concept next week. But basically, it's what it is, is that God doesn't really see you and your sinfulness. He sees you and Christ's righteousness. That's what makes the gospel amazing. That literally, God gives us the law, says, this is how bad you are. You're so bad that you're under a curse. You're caught in a net. You're in bondage to this curse, and there's no way out. But guess what? I'll send my son to pay the curse for you. It's amazing. It's amazing. I love it. Look at Romans chapter 3. This will be the last verse we look at. It's in your notes. Romans chapter 3, verse 20. Knowing this now, that what, what, what Paul has just taught. Now read it, and just look how amazing the gospel is. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. That's how we know we're sinners. But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ unto all and upon all them that believe, for there is no difference. Paul says it's by faith. You weren't justified by the law. It couldn't justify you. But it did prove that you were a sinner. So bad that you needed a Savior. And that Savior is Jesus. And to get made right with God is faith in Him. And that's it. It's a promise that God made. When He walked through, He made that promise unconditionally. Nobody else walked with Him. That's why it says... A mediator usually has two, but God is one. God was the only one that walked through. When it was the law, when the Ten Commandments were given, he says they were witnesses. The angels saw it. The Israelites saw this is from God. God was there making this contract and said, guys, if you can follow my commandments, I'm going to bless you. You can read this in, in Deuteronomy chapter 30. But if you don't, I'm going to curse you. I put before you in this contract a blessing and a cursing. A blessing if you obey my commandments, a cursing if you disobey. And let me just tell you, a few hours after they made that contract, Israel broke the contract. And so did we all we were caught in bondage. Listen, I don't know about you, I'm so glad he made that promise unconditionally. He said, because by that promise, I'm going to give you my righteousness. Through Jesus, upon all who believe, there's no difference. I don't care if you're white, black, red, brown. doesn't matter if you're American or from some other continent or country. You can be made right with God by faith. 
The Bible says, through faith upon all them that believe. I don't know about you, but it's amazing. The gospel message is amazing. It tells us where we could be or where we would be without the law. Oh, listen, the law and faith, they're not contradictory, they're complementary. If it wasn't for the law, we wouldn't know how sinful we were. If we weren't as sinful, if we didn't know how sinful we were, we wouldn't need or we wouldn't know that we needed a Savior. So you ask, why did God give us the law? If Abraham was saved by faith, we're by faith, then God's promise, why do we need the law? Because the law is going to teach you and me just how sinful we are. But the law will also lead us to a great freedom that's found in Christ. The greatest freedom. So this morning, let me just say, if you're, if you're depending on your own works to be right with God, let me tell you, you're never going to be right with God. You need to be made right with God by faith alone, in Christ alone. That's it. That's the message this morning. Reasons for the law, simple. Reveals our sin, and it takes us to the cross. Let me tell you, if you just live by that faith in what Christ did, you have new life. You have the Spirit of God in you. And let me tell you, everything is better. I mean everything. Your marriage is going to be better. Your job's going to be better. Even the difficult trials of life will be better because it's by faith that you're made right with God, not by works. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the truth of your word. Thank you for the promise that was made. Father, as we think about that promise, sometimes it can seem to us as something so small. Sometimes it can seem like something so easy. And in many ways, it is easy. It is is easy to be made right with you. Oh, but the cost was great. What what sin has done to us is horrific and terrible. And it's trapped us in literally squeezing the life out of us. For the wages of sin is death. Oh, but that promise, that gift that was made of Jesus Christ has given us eternal life. Father, this morning we thank you for that promise. How wonderful to know what the life of faith can do. How awesome to know that that covenant isn't dependent on our works. It's upon your work. The work that you did on the cross. It was your love and mercy. Father, thank you. And I pray, Father, if there be anyone here this morning that's still yet to put their faith in you alone, I pray that they would make that decision. And for us that maybe have already made that decision here this morning, oh, Father, may we have a greater appreciation, a greater love for that gospel message. Upon realizing what that even means, oh, Father, I pray that it would motivate me 
to share that message more often. To know that what we share is the message of life. The message of being made right with God. Help us, I pray, to do that. Give us opportunities this week to share that wonderful message. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.